Eat out the yum nub. Hello and welcome to Yubcast, your Star Wars cartoon podcast. My name is Jamie and you lack conviction. My name is Matt. Everyone has their own rebellion. That is true. Mine's my body every time I go to Taco Bell. I'm definitely phasing out fast food. I think I'm too old to enjoy fast food. I, I periodically will get like a, um, like a Big Mac and it's just like... Uh, I guess the uh, and the enjoyment is very fleeting. It's just like, mmm, and, the, and then I just feel a lot of shame because I ate something really bad, and then it messes with my stomach. It's it's becoming less worth it. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I think it's road trip food for me now, and that's it. I actually got really sick. We were we were driving back from someplace a couple of weekends ago, and I got really sick right after eating fast food. So, yeah, I'm, I think I'm done. Yeah, we mainly do it, like, when we go, like, camping in the Scouts. But, no, that's not true. Like, my daughter loves Culver's. And Culver, and it's, I just can't. I, I still like it, but it's not as, maybe it's, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just, it's like, I think it's a combination of me, combination of quality everywhere is kind of slipping and prices going up. So it's just like, I'm not paying this kind of money for this. But it's a, it's the carrot that gets my daughter to do good stuff. So sure, deal with it. All right. Before we get too much into a off-topic um, opener, I do want to remind people that we are doing a Clone Wars episode today. Uh, the Blue Shadow Virus, which is Season 1, Episode 17. Um, we're, we're having a relatively re- a regular recording schedule right now. So... Um, shortly before Christmas uh, recording time. We've got about a four-week delay in posting these, so it'll be after Christmas. So did you do any Star Wars this week or have any cool Star Wars plans for Christmas? Um, Star Wars plan, plan, ugh, Star Wars plans for Christmas? No. Um, I am I'm maybe about like a third to a halfway through the new High Republic book. I am really enjoying it. Um, I don't know how... Have you started it, or are you, did you finish it? I have started it. I have not finished it. I'm just checking. We're talking about Eye of Darkness by George Mann. Mm-hmm. I am in Chapter 12. I'm like maybe a quarter of the way through. I'm not very far into it. I like it so far, but I think stuff is about to start happening. Um, it's a very. I'm a big High Republic fan. I just haven't had a lot of time to do the audiobooks this past week. I've been doing a lot of writing myself, and... This past month, like I should say, doing a lot of writing myself, and I just haven't had a lot of time to sit down and enjoy books. Um, but like I said, it's toward the end of the year, and so I think there's going to be a lot of free time at work and stuff. So I think I'll just start focusing on the book. I'm glad to hear you're further along than me for sure. I'm glad to hear you like it, though. Oh yeah, it's um, like what? Um, what's the what's the last thing that happened? Um, Mark Markion Rowe did the public execution. Oh, television. so I'm pretty okay. really into it. Oh yeah, there's some, there's some, uh, a few interesting things that happen, and there, there's also, without spoiling anything, there is, um, they're tying in some of the newer canon stuff from, um, the sequels or stuff. Um, I'll just leave it at that. Po- uh, okay. uh, post, um, post Jedi stuff. Okay, uh, that's. That's great for. That's great as far as I'm concerned. I can't wait to get there now. Um, yeah, I, I think like the Santecas are characters in this book, right? And mm-hmm. we first meet Lord Santeca in the first five minutes of The Force Awakens. 
when he um, when Kylo Ren calls him old. <laughs> Kylo Ren, famous ageist. Yeah. <laughs> Something far worse has happened to you. I just love that. My I I love the Force Awakens. The, the, the further I get from it, and the more I watch it, the more I love it. It's just it's become like a comfort movie to me. And I love everything in that first sequence. Like, and yeah. I was in the theater. I was completely wrapped, and I wanted to know everything about Laura Santeca. Yeah, the first line of the movie is uh, this, will, this will set this will begin to set things right. right. Mm-hmm. Yep, which meant a lot of uh, things. Which, uh, well, if only they kept on like one path. Yeah, well, not not gonna not gonna armchair. Monday morning quarterback or whatever. Um, them we got we have all the Star Wars. We're gonna we're gonna let them retcon it into making sense, right? Yeah, yeah. I they're I doing a, they're doing a fine job as far as I'm concerned with with Bad Batch and with Mando and all of those things. I think they're doing a fine job. I, I am gonna go back to school uh, um, just to get like a master's in film and do or um, and just do some sort of um, thesis on the uh, the Last Jedi. And what everybody gets wrong about it, and not as like a clickbait article like things you got wrong about Last Jedi. It's that that things nobody really mentions is that like the whole movie is just like Luke Skywalker is a stand-in for the Star Wars audience. There it is. You heard it here first. Ten things you didn't realize about the Last Jedi. You can find that at yubcast.com. No, we're <laughs> not going to do that. Um, also, also, maybe not. Maybe not him, but just whole arc yeah yeah how it had to die and be reborn again and in a younger generation well that and but you're believing one thing but it's not what you you you've got expectations and then the expectations lead you down a dark path yeah i i like that interpretation as well i think that's actually probably super spot on right and everybody is everybody is like the man boys online or kylo ren screaming point every gun at that man right yeah talking about ryan that's hilarious yeah. <laughs> that's such a great interpretation i want every gun we have to fire on that man Ugh. but anyways so uh Ed, but other than the high republic thing, i really haven't done a whole um uh, lot i other than just my random like Oh, I'm thinking about the scene, so I'll, I'll watch uh, um, something from like um, Mandalorian or Clone Wars or one of the movies. Just some, just some scene that I think is really cool and kind of gets the gets like gives me uh, goose flesh. Right. Um, in the past week, I um, appeared on another podcast as a guest on the Scarif Scuttlebutt podcast. You can find them on Twitter by typing in that's the scuttlebutt um the guy wanted one of their hosts row um wanted to talk about star wars visions volume two and so he went back and listened to our star wars visions reviews for volume one because we have not done volume two um and then we got on the phone and talked about star wars volume visions volume two i do want to review that in 2024 with you um but we'll get there we're going to try to get through a bunch of clone wars first um, so you can see that, like I said, we're on a four week delay here, so it's already been posted. It was posted on the Thursday before this recording. 
And so just go back to their feed and listen to that and make sure you tweet at them and say that you really enjoyed that episode. And that Matt guy probably sound sounded really sexy. <laughs> um, but I did that. And then I didn't talk about it last week, but I recently went to that documentary about the holiday special. Oh, yeah. I actually did that um, sort of the second week. I think it was I think it was December 9th or something or 10th when I got to go see it. I went to the Alamo Drafthouse DC location and um, I invited my wife to go. And I don't know if I told you this, but there was a huge pregnant pause when I invited her to go to this movie with me. And then she said, I don't think I would enjoy that. <laughs> and then I was like, okay. And then she's like, but we could go, to, like, it would be fun to go with you. And I was like, now I'm only getting one ticket. I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, like, it was so pregnant that it gave birth. You yeah. know, the pause was so big. I was well, like, did she hear me? <laughs> well, she could have just said, like, they serve alcohol there, right? And they do. Yeah. <laughs> they sure do. That's the funny thing about it. Like, I, I hadn't gone to an Alamo draft house in a long time. Because um, I just don't get out to movies very often. And when I do, I usually have to take up, like, my whole family. Right? Mm-hmm. Which is fine. I like going to movies with my family. But I'm not going to go to Alamo draft house where you can drop 50 bucks on, like, food and alcohol. And, mm-hmm. With a bunch of kids. So, um, I was there. And I ordered a beer and, like, fries or whatever. Because I was just going to watch this documentary about the holiday special. And they took forever. And so I assumed that they had forgotten my order. And so I just, I was like, forget it. I don't need the fries. I'll just get a beer. And so I ordered another beer. So then literally 30 seconds after they picked up the order for the second beer, they dropped off a beer. And I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, that's not the second beer. That's the first beer. And it just took them 15 minutes to bring it. The second beer came within minutes. And so then I had two beers in front of me. It's a movie theater, so it doesn't matter, right? No one can mm-hmm. see you. And so then I was drinking the two beers and finished the first one, was halfway through the second one, and then the waitress came by and said, did they deliver your beer? And I said, they delivered both beers. Don't worry about it. I'm good. And she's like, because they poured another one. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, maybe it's not for me. And she's like, no, you're the only one ordering this beer in the theater. And I was like, okay. And she's like, do you want it? I won't charge you for it. But if you don't want it, we're just going to pour it out. And I was like, okay, fine. Give me the beer. Right. Also, my fries eventually showed up too. Mm. So I was like, all right, I'll drink. I'll eat these fries and I'll drink these three beers, one for free. Because you apparently are not doing good inventory control today. And so I got to have those three beers. The movie, though, about the holiday special i wrote extensively about this on my social media but that movie is fucking hilarious it is very good and it's not what you might think it's not exclusively about the holiday special it's also just about how television was produced in the 70s and why the television special the star wars holiday special was probably inevitable given the way tv and promotion was done back then but they get into the weeds about when it started to go wrong, who knew it was going wrong and what everybody thought about it during the production. And apparently everybody knew it was shit from like jump. It went over budget on like the second day (laughs) and it never recovered. They fired their director halfway through and brought in a different director. George Lucas saw what was close to a final cut. He offered CBS, he offered money to CBS to buy it. So it would never be aired. And CBS said no. 
Oh man, that's like um, <laughs> that's like um, Jerry Lewis and that clown Holocaust movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't I didn't make that a uh, connection. Um, but yeah, it's like that. It's like it's like he tried to kill it before it saw the light of day, and then I don't I don't did, I'm still not sure you've seen it all the way through. I've it talked about it. I've seen it piecemeal, but I just can't. I've not been able to bring myself to. I really think we need a Life Day episode next year where you and I just get super drunk and live stream commentary for the holiday special. Okay. So we'll just do that on Life Day, Life Day and un- post it unedited to our feed <laughs> because because I've seen it a bunch, right? I watch it. I watched it with my family. I've watched it with the kids a couple times. I have two different bootleg copies of it, one on VHS and one on DVD. And now you can just now it's, they're never going to put it on Disney Plus. I'm convinced after watching this documentary, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if it was if it wasn't a condition of the sale of of Disney to of Star Wars to Disney that that they never release it. They've released the, the Boba Fett cartoon by itself on Disney Plus, so you can watch that. But the Nelvana thing, but yeah. Yeah, you can't watch the holiday special. Was that the last time that Harrison Ford was uh, on TV? What other, was other, uh, the holiday special, other, other than being uh, like being interviewed? That's an interesting question, huh? I guess I'm going to go to IMDb to answer that question. Because I mean, Mark Hamill has, and Carrie Fisher has. When was that made? 1977, 78. Yeah, it would have been. Or was Holiday Special 78. So he, um, scrolling up in the 80s, he was in one episode of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Hmm, okay. And he narrated an episode of Frontline, and he narrated an episode of a nature show, and then he was in a TV series in 2022 and 2023 called 1923. Oh, that's right. I completely forgot about that show. That show's Oh, good. yes. I forgot about the show too. This show's good. Yeah, this show's awesome. Yeah, 1923. Yeah. That so yeah, basically since 1977, he was a narrator on a Frontline episode and he did one cameo appearance on The Adventures of Young Indiana Jones. Yeah. The, I mean, the reason why he's on that show is he can just be his old cranky self, and just he gets to be. Because he doesn't have to act. He just he's just a cowboy and he just gets to shoot people. Like here's the pitch, Harrison. It's 1920s. You're an angry cowboy, uh, and you don't have to you don't have to learn any lines. You just have to be mad and shoot at people. All right, I'll do it. <laughs> Put down. It's like stop crashing that plane, and yeah, it's a, it's a great show. I I really uh, my my wife and I got hooked on Yellowstone, and then we we watched all their the spinoff shows. Um, all right, so he was also in a Apple TV show um, with Jason Siegel called Shrinking, where I think he plays a psychiatrist or psychologist or something. Interesting. He's got um, he's a weird. He's got a like, he he like we're poking fun at him for being kind of cranky old guy, but he's he's got a very like dry sense of humor. Um, just like is he is he just kind of playing it up? Um. Then he'll just do like weird stuff. Like he was in the that. Remember way back when? Uh, this is back like 2009 ish. Uh, Jimmy Kipple made a video with uh, like I'm, I'm fucking Ben Affleck. 
<laughs> and he's in that. And, and and he's kind of like a he does like he blows them a kiss and then peels out in a convertible. I think he mostly thinks it's funny. Right? Yeah, and then he was he was in part of the the the, the we are the world part of, of of that video where they're all singing. Did I tell you my father met him? Um no. You know that my father's business sold like avionics, like yeah, like instrumentation for aircraft. And Harrison Ford is an amateur pilot. Like he amateur pilot meaning he flies a private pilot. He flies himself around in little planes, like little prop planes and stuff. And so my father's business um, sold instrumentation for small aircraft. And he, for a while, they were selling a digital display, like a. I don't know how to put it. It's like Google Maps for for the sky. Yes. He had remember one in, this. He had one in his car when he picked me up from the airport uh, for your wedding. That's I was right. Like, this is kind of a weird thing, but okay. Right, and so so it was basically a, a moving map, GPS enabled moving map for planes. And so when you would fly a private aircraft, you'd have to ping against radio towers all over the country, and the frequencies would change. They change every 28 days, and so you have to constantly be updating your map. His invention was to automate that and digitize it and so you could fly across country with an ipad in your lap and it would automatically change your radio frequencies and ping all the towers as you flew this is how you track aircraft in the united states Mm -hmm. so harrison ford bought one of these systems for his plane because they were very popular back in the early 2000s and there the software had to be updated automatically and it and that was the part of the product that didn't that people would call customer service all the time to talk about because they were, they would have, if they had issues, they had to call the company. And one time, as my father says, that the head of customer service came in and said, uh, hey, there's a VIP on the phone that's having a problem with their software update. And I thought you might want to take it. My father never does like customer service calls for a good reason because he's an asshole. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but anyway, he's uh, this this guy told him like it's Harrison Ford, and he's like, I'll take the call. And according to him, they joked around for a little bit while my dad walked him through updating his software. Um, so that's that's as close as I ever got. Yeah. But it is a it is a sort of a cool story. Yeah. I mean, he was like, my my oldest son is really into Star Wars, and Harrison Ford's like, Jesus, what a loser. Yeah, I mean. My my father's also a science fiction nerd, so he was like making all like the uh, let the Wookiee win jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, so apparently it was well re- like his fandom was well received on the phone because he was helping him fix this several thousand dollar appliance he bought for his hundred thousand dollar plane. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of a little bit of that goes a long way, I think. Anyway, enough about grumpy grumpy Harrison Ford. Well, well, my uh, my mom met Sylvester Stallone. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I think that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I would put Stallone in a Star Wars. Oh, that would be 20 cool. years ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. that's, that'd put him in something. Uh, you know, those expendable movies are better than, than they're supposed to be. Yeah. I'll, I'll say that. Like, Expendables, much better than it's supposed okay. to be. Okay, question. Like, Sylvester Stallone. Star Wars Expendables. <laughs> uh, he, um, Sylvester Stallone is in a Star Wars IP. What does he? What does he play? Who does he play? 
Oh, it'd have to be. It would have to be like an alien that's really Judge Dread like. He would have to be like a like a some sort of police force, right? He would yeah. be. He would be Cyril's regional manager, <laughs> or the Morlana security force. Yeah, or just like a like a. Yeah, and man, I don't know because you don't like. Would he play just like yeah, it's like some sort of muscle bound thug type. Or something a little bit more. I mean, I can't think the last time that he played something like off type, but like yeah, because I'm thinking just like like a Zach Braff, like being like the 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 narc, uh, the mole person narc in um, in uh, Kenobi. Like, could he just be like a little like bit character who's just like not like you wouldn't think that it was uh, Sylvester Stallone until you saw the credits and be like, really? Did I forget that Zach Braff was in Kenobi? Yeah, he was. Um, he was the mole. Um, the actual I, I can't think of the name, but like um, he sells them out to the to the Empire. Really? Yeah, I, for, I totally forgot that. Now, now I got to make sure that it's actually him. Oh, he is. He's Freck. Yeah, the, right. No, you're right. He's the mole man. Oh, I totally forgot that. Well, because yeah, because apparently there the word there's rumor that he's. Um, edited like a version of episode one or something like that. No, that's Topher. To- oh, oh, right. Okay. Well, the oh, other that's Topher. Topher's Topher's prequel edit is somewhat famous, but um, but uh. yeah, no, you're right. Like, no, you're totally right. He plays he plays that mole dude, that MAGA mole dude. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I totally forgot that. The empire's the emperor's gonna make the galaxy great again. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna edit that so it sounds like you're a genius. But, uh, <laughs> just to cut out that the googling of it. Yeah, I got my uh, I, I got my skinny awkward actors uh, mixed up. No, you got it right, but then you you credited Topher you credited Topher's edit to Zach. I'll leave that in. But anyway, everyone go see that documentary if you can. You can buy it on Amazon. It's pretty cheap. Um, I highly recommend it. It's really cool piece of star wars and it, it really it also i came away from it with a justification for all the crazy collecting i do from that era of star wars like all the nirvana shit i have now um because this is star wars people don't talk about very much i know it's like hip and cool to talk about it now but six years ago we started this podcast by watching droids mm-hmm. from from thal joben's youtube channel uh, so I, I really have an appreciation for what we've tried to do on this show by highlighting Nelvana's contribution to Star Wars. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we get into the show? Uh, no, let's uh, let's let's do it. All right. So before we get started today, I want to talk about a member of the cast and the writer of this show. Um, so the episode we're covering today is the Blue Shadow Virus, um, season one, episode seventeen, and it first aired um, on February thirteenth, two thousand nine. It's basic. We'll get into the plot, but it's basically about a mad scientist who makes a bioweapon. That mad scientist's name is Vindy, um, and he's played by Michael York. And Michael York has an insane um, IMDb. He uh, is best known, probably, for Logan's Run, 
and the 1968 version of Romeo and Juliet, which we probably had to watch in school. <laughs> but he's also in all of the Austin Powers movies as Basil. Oh, no, here's Basil. Hello, exposition. Austin, let me bring you up to speed. Dr. Evil has hijacked a nuclear warhead from Kreplakistan. Uh, so that's who that is. <laughs> um, also, just so you're, everybody is aware, Michael York is the stepfather of Rick McCallum. And Rick McCallum is the producer of the Star Wars prequel trilogy and the special editions of the original trilogy. So Rick McCallum is high, high up in Lucasfilm. Wow. Um, and he is the stepson of uh, Robert York, Basil Exposition. Uh, any questions about Michael? No. No, I'm, I'm well aware of his... Uh... Is his work. So the second guy I want to talk about today, because actually we've covered everybody else in the cast already. Um, I can run down the cast real quick. But um, David Accord plays the the bunny droid, but we talked about him last week, actually. He's like Star Wars royalty. He's won like Emmys and stuff. He was the senior sound designer for the sequel trilogy. Um, Jamila uh, McMillan plays the queen of Naboo. But we've talked about her because she plays Hallie Bertoni in later episodes of Clone Wars and Bad Batch. So we talked about her career in our Bad Batch episodes. And then um, uh, Gwendolyn Yo plays Peppy Bo, the gun-gun female. And we talked a lot about her because she plays Nala Say in Bad Batch and Nala Say and a bunch of other characters in Clone Wars. I just want to highlight them, but we've already covered their careers on the show, so I decided to, to look up one of the writers. And the, the chief writer of this episode is named uh, Craig Titley. And he wrote this episode and Zillow Beast and did nothing else in Star Wars, as far as I can tell. Um, but he was the writer on such hits as Cheaper by the Dozen and Cheaper by the Dozen 2. Um, this guy, I told you I found something hilarious, um, and it's this guy's career. Uh, he wrote Scooby-Doo, and he wrote 13 episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and was listed as the producer on 114 episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Wow. But according to IMDb, his first paid writing and producing gig was the documentary Conspiracy Theory, Did We Land on the Moon? <laughs> it is a moon hoax documentary giving an uncredulous view at the moon hoax conspiracy. Here's a quote from a review of his documentary that he made in 2001, by the way. With its dramatic and sinister voiceovers, multiple uses of the word could, might, and did, and a complete lack of reasonable objectivity, this sort of crap will no doubt entertain a few more gullible souls on the break, on their break from searching their belly button lint for microchips. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody tell Buzz Aldrin. <laughs> yeah, this guy... So I don't know if, if Craig himself is a moon landing conspiracy theorist, but he got money for promoting it. So let us never speak of him again. Yeah, it's is it one of those things where it's just like he just had to get his, his foot in the door? I'll um, put it this way. I saw I saw the title of the documentary in IMDB and I was like, please let this be a skeptical look at the evidence. Meaning meaning like a a rational empiricist look at the evidence. I shouldn't say skeptic because that bird has been hijacked. But my, for those that know me that 
you know how I come down on these conspiracy theories. I'm a professional scientist, right? And my school of philosophy is rational empiricism in the school of science. And so I'm a follower of Karl, <sighs> Karl Popper, right? So like, I have a very strict view of what is and isn't a scientific question. Conspiracy theories don't, don't have a place in my scientific philosophy. This is just gibberish. This is people wanting to feel important um, and not not doing the work of understanding how science works well, or what a result is. They're anomaly hunting. They're looking for things that they can't explain or don't understand, which isn't a good bar because these people are idiots. Well, I'm just looking at like who they've like Gus Grissom is. Oh wait, archive footage. Okay, no, so. they just they just took a bunch of. I I didn't watch it because I'm not going to give it a click, but I read about it. I assume you're on the IMDb page now. Mm-hmm. They took clips and like stitched together a narrative. And according to some reviews of this, because I went pretty deep on this documentary without watching it, they had conspiracy theorists on there basically saying like the Challenger disaster was a way to silence silence astronauts who were getting too close to the truth. That's the kind of documentary it is. Well, uh, oh boy! <laughs> All right, yeah. Let's ne- let's not talk about it ever again. Let's not talk about him ever again. Because yeah. anyone that promotes this kind of view doesn't belong in my world. This well, is I'm I'm I put him up here because I needed to talk about some. But I like talking about these people. But also, it serves as a good cautionary tale. And everyone, look up Karl Popper and his writings because he is a useful philosopher. That's sad. The 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 narrator is Mitch Pileggi. He was the like the director and. The FBI director uh, in um, in the X Files. Yeah, and he was also like um, he's also in uh, he played a white supremacist in Sons of Anarchy. Hmm, bummer. Yeah, and I don't know if everybody affiliated with it held those beliefs, but the world's so full of nonsense that <laughs> that if no one's pushing back against it, it's just going to continue to grow like a cancer. So I'm pushing against it here. Moon landing was real. Yeah, yeah. They, I, I read a joke that like, yeah, um, yes, Kubrick faked the moon landing, but he wanted to be so authentic they shot it on location. Yeah, that's that's closer to the truth than the moon landing <laughs> didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's anyway. Moving on. Yeah, but the Earth is flat. The Earth is definitely flat. <laughs> um. All right, so on to the plot. Like I said, we're doing um, the shadow virus. Uh, what's it called? The blue shadow virus. Uh, today's fortune cookie is fear is the disease. Hope is the only cure. And we will get oh, into that in a little bit. That sounds like that sounds like the uh, tagline for for this um, Stallone movie, Cobra. Crime is the disease. He's the cure. I'm glad you're still on Stallone's IMDb <laughs> page. <laughs> No, I just know that. <laughs> that is also believable. <laughs> All right. The show opens up on Naboo, where some battle droids are on speeders. Um, some Naboo guards shoot down the battle droids. And then uh, this is in, like, the, the crawl or the quote-unquote propaganda piece. And so it's going fast. Senator, Senator Amidala and Jar Jar return to the planet to see what's going on, fearing that there's an invasion. All right, Amidala and Jar Jar meet Queen Yinati. Yinatni. <laughs> Padme asks if they saw anything other than the three droids. I was going to do a game with you today, but I got. I, I think I think we're not going to have time for it. I was going to give you the names of the queens of Naboo and ask you to pick out the fake one. 
Well, going by from what I know from the the um from reading that like the first um like Queen um the first book about Padme, all her all her, uh, Queen Yinutni's uh, headmaidens changed their name to something similar. So you got like she nutney, bee nutney, chutney. Chutney. Yeah, you gotta have a chutney in there. <laughs> Tamarind chutney. Alright. Um Queen Yanutney uh, says they're only on, those are only three droids that were found, but they're not the only ones on the planet, she's sure of it. The Queen wants Padme to convince the Senate that Naboo is going to be invaded again. Padme says they don't have enough proof. They go into this droid lab where they're analyzing the tactical droid. One of the droids they shot down was like a tactical droid. Um, medical, they have a medical droid in there, like a 2-1-B droid. Uh, he removes the head plate with a buzzsaw. C-3PO requests to be shut down because he thinks he's going to faint while they mutilate this droid. But Padme says, no, they need C-3PO <laughs> to get info from the droid. <laughs> this is like in Ro- RoboCop 2 where they're torturing the drug dealers are torturing that cop and like there's the, the the kid and the kid wants to look away and he's like no the kid has to watch <laughs> um, you need to see this. stop being such a weakling 3PO and, and watch as we torture this droid you're gonna like it so at the same time as 3PO being asked to extract information from this droid that they're cutting up, um, Jar Jar starts, uh, sees a bug crawl out of the body of the other droid on the table, and it's like a big beetle of some kind, and he starts chasing this bug around the room. Jar Jar is high comedy in this episode. Yeah. Um, C-3PO tells the droid that he's a hero. The droid has been reactivated, but not his eyes, and so 3PO tells him that he's on a droid ship. Um and wants to know all of his heroic activities. Um, C-3PO gets to tell him that he was working on a virus in a lab and some leaked out. In the background, Jar Jar continues to chase this bug and in the process gets his head stuck on an astromech dome because they're in this room with all these shelves with droid parts hanging on them. Really cool room, by the way. Mm-hmm. I really want this room in my house, but I'm, I would get divorced. <laughs> Not by choice. Uh, the droid figures out that he's not on a separatist ship, but is a captive. And then Captain Tytho, who's in the room, he's the he's the Naboo captain with the eye patch from the movie. Mm-hmm. He was he was in uh, Attack of the Clones. He threatens the droid, um, and Jar Jar in in a different part of the room is still trying to get this astromech dome off his head, and he knocks into the shelves, and they fall over like dominoes, ultimately crushing this droid. Destroying him before they could get any information about where this lab was. Padme sees this bug Jar Jar was chasing and asks if that's what he was after. Jar Jar says he loves these bugs and they only live in a small area on Naboo. So Padme thinks that's where the lab must be. Um, this is what a CSI Star Wars would look like. Yeah. Or CSI Naboo. <laughs> you would think that was like like any time like uh, you need Jar Jar is like, hey Jar Jar, go into this closet. There's something very important. You have a very important job in there, and then they just lock him in there, or like they just feed him till he's just like he can't move. 
You guys are really dumb. That's why Mr. Burns left me in charge of watching the bee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we did bad. The bee bit my bottom. My bottom got big. <laughs> Padme and Tytho report to Mace and Yoda about the situation. Yoda says they will send two Jedi. Padme asks for Obi-Wan and Anakin, since Obi-Wan is close with the gun guns, and she is married to Anakin. Yeah. And needs, needs some marital service. Yeah. <laughs> She also says that their relationship with the Gungans is strained. Um, and this does not pay off, but there's a reason why this line is in here, and it is a dark, dark reason. We'll get there in the trivia. Back in the grasslands, a flock of shock start drinking from the river, and they all start dropping dead immediately. A Gungan female named Peppy Bo is tending to this herd. I think I said flock, but it's a herd, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and gets the rest away from the water. She realizes the water is poison. Um, I'm going to make sure those are shock, though. Yeah, they're the shock. Padme and Jar Jar show up to this site, and environmental suits are basically wearing space suits or those suits from Outbreak um, to the site of the shock deaths. Jar Jar wonders what killed them. Padme says it must be the plague. Peppy Bo comes out of nowhere and attacks Padme and Jar Jar. She's like hitting him with a stun baton. She grabs Jar Jar's helmet and rips it off. Jar Jar immediately attempts to hold his breath. They're still fighting, and Padme draws a gun on Peppy Bo. Um, she returns Jar Jar's helmet and says, she speaks in Gunganese, I guess. I don't know what the language is called, but she's like, you should not have to be so worried. It's not in the air, but in the water. Um, Padme immediately removes her helmet and asks for the location of the trees where the bug came from, and Peppy tells her to follow the river up to the forest. This was wild to me. Yeah, you're... Yeah, you're a scientist. Like some some random person says, like, "Hey, don't worry about this protective gear," and you just say, "Oh, okay." If it was a dumbass politician, I probably would believe that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but no, like, like just because your cow died after drinking the water doesn't mean it's the only risk. Yeah. Right. In fact, in fact, that probably makes it worse because you're standing around a bunch of dead animals with this virus inside of it. Also, there's no virus on the planet that kills as fast as this thing, so we're not going to get... Surprisingly, I don't really want to get into the deep, deep science of this one, because it's just too close to home for me. Mm. So she tells her to go up the river to the forest to find the trees. Peppy wants to just show Padme where the trees are, but Padme sends her back to feed um, where the palace, uh, where it's safe. So we cut to deep in the forest... Padme and Jar Jar are being watched on this periscope. There's this man in a bunker that tells two battle droids that they have guests and to escort their friends inside. The droids leave to get Padme and Jar Jar. Jar Jar trips in the forest, falls down, and lands on a hatch. Like It's like covered in mud, but when he falls down, you can see that it's metal. Padme calls in the coordinates of the hatch and requests a geoscan of the area back to Tython, Tytho at, a, at the palace. All of a sudden, they're surrounded by battle droids and taken to the lab. They're basically, this lab is a subterranean facility, and so they have all these hatches on the top, and they can pop things up out of, the, out of these hatches whenever they want to. And so they pop a half a dozen battle droids with guns pointed, and they're able to take them hostage easily. How, how any did, any how, comment about this? How did they do it? So, um, how are they able to get it built? Yeah, so that's part of the trivia of this episode. We can talk about it here. When they were talking about the concept of this lab, they decided that it must have been built during the occupation in episode one. 
that this was a military facility that they were building a decade before and that they might have been here this entire time building this out because there's also a line we'll talk about like this this script went through multiple revisions um this movie is or this episode is taking place almost exactly 10 years after the occupation of naboo and there's a line later where they discover that it's vindy and they say he's been missing for 10 years Hmm. And so there was a version of the script where it was not implied, but stated that this lab was built during the occupation. But this this script went under a lot of revisions. And there's all sorts of holdovers from that first draft. But this that was in the first draft. So very good question. Yeah, he uh, he's very has. um, Have we seen uh, Foss before? Have we seen who before? Uh, 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 Faust, the the type of um, species he is. Of Vindy? Uh, yeah. No. So let's just let's let's introduce Vindy real quick. Um, inside the lab, we meet Nuvo Vindy, the scientist. He examines Padme and Jar Jar and says they will make good test subjects. Vindy says he is creating life in his lab. He present he presents the return of the blue shadow virus. Padme says that disease is extinct. Vindy says he has brought it back. And explains that the virus is only transmittable transmittable in water, but he has made it airborne. And so, do you want to describe what Vindy looks like for everybody? He kind of looks like um, he's got like this weird kiss kind of makeup. I mean, he's like bluish gray. He he looks like he's in like a Swedish like death metal band, but it's like this. Just he he's got like these um, like how you get like bags under your eyes, except. The bags go all the way around his like part of his head, and he's very like just got like skinny head, long skinny neck. Yeah, his his bags under his eyes almost look like a like a mask a robber would wear in like a silent film. Yeah, did you ever um, did you ever watch a cartoon when you were a kid called The Spiral Zone? No, I don't think so. The Spiral Zone was just like this the spiral area that's just all around the planet that this. Um, this bad guy, this evil scientist, had um, in- installed it, and like everybody who was in the um, in the zone had like all these like weird like red bags, kind of like red markings um, on their faces, and like the bad guys who are like permanently altered to still like they like kind of turned everybody into kind of zombies, except for like the bad guys, the major bad guys. Uh, they they had like the markings, but they were still they had their own um, they had had free will and whatnot. It reminds me very much of that. So I I'm sure people I can't be the only one that remembers Spiral Zone. I'm googling it and I don't think I've ever seen it. Sorry. the the but. the the the, the, the main character's name is Dirk Courage. No, I want to see it. They've made action figures for this thing. Yeah, I mean, it's a kind of a probably cool... a con. There's probably a con someplace that covers this entire thing. Yeah, it's a it's a cool concept, like kind of kind of very dated, but it was. I mean, it's uh, cool, but it just reminds me a lot of that. If you if you see like some of the bad guys, they kind of remind me of that. Yeah, one of these characters looks almost identical to Boba Fett. All right, everyone, look up Spiral Zone. Yeah, maybe you've seen it before. Yeah, but also like uh, I didn't I didn't fully get the. The um, I want to say the gag, but the 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 name reference, um, the Faust. Yeah, Faust. Are you talking about species? Yeah, Faust is a um, 
reference to the opera, right? Um, yeah. Or I guess it's there. Also, is it's a Cossack legend. It's a German legend, right? For a Gothel. German, German uh, Johann George Faust, German alchemist and astrologer. Oh, is it a reference to the person Faust? Yeah, Not like the devil. Or it could be a little bit of both. I like yours better, but yeah, maybe double meeting there. Oh, a German legend, a magician and alchemist who sells his soul to the devil in exchange for knowledge and power. There you go. Yeah, so that's that's great. They don't name drop his species in this episode, but it probably comes up in the next episode because he's in the next episode too. All right, um, let's keep going. Uh, while he's so he's he has Padme and Jar Jar in custody or held hostage, and he's telling them all about his evil plan to make this an airborne virus. Um, a Lepi droid, one of those rabbit droids, shows up holding a bomb. Vindy puts the vial of the virus inside a bomb and says he will release it back into the galaxy. Padme says no one is immune. Vindy says the war is the real disease. And that is what needs to be eradicated. This is a paper-thin justification for mass murder. I do want to, just to round out his design um, and Michael York's uh, performance, this guy is a mustache-twirling evil villain from a 1950s serial. <laughs> yeah. He, he is everything. And he's like, there's a there's a line read in Vindy's performance where he just goes, yeah, 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 yes. He says, yeah, like 30 times in a row. And in some of the interviews I saw about the episode, they're like, we just let Michael do whatever he wanted with the character. And it was supposed to be over the top. His design comes from an unused alien from Attack of the Clones. Also, this design was hand-delivered to the art team for this episode by Lucas, saying, make make Vindy look like this. So, that's something, too. Hmm. All right, so Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Ahsoka show up in Theed. Tytho says Padme is missing. Anakin loses his shit. Um, he starts yelling at Tytho. Peppy Bo is there, though, and tells them that Jar Jar and Padme are out looking for the lab. Anakin asks why they didn't start searching for them when they went missing. Tytho says because of new developments, they wanted to brief the Jedi. Yeah. They go into the droid. Did you want to say something? I say Anakin's had a boner like the entire, the entire ride over, uh, and now he's like, "What? She's not here!" Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, the real problem is, is his blue balls, right? Yes. Um. <laughs> so they go back to the droid lab, and Tytho says they've done a robo lobotomy. Um. That's not what a lobotomy is. <laughs> We won't go into it, but that's not... Robo-lobotomy isn't like extracting information from someone's brain, right? It is the the deactivation of the frontal lobe of the brain, a portion of the frontal lobe of the brain. Um, anyway, they did this on the battle droid, and they recovered a hollow recording of Vindy discussing the virus. Vindy disappeared 10 years before, and then you see Vindy saying that they will fill the bombs with the virus. They only need one bomb per system. Tython shows the Jedi the map of the geo scan of the lab. They got a really high resolution scam scan because of because of her transmission before she went missing. Um, and they get a thorough briefing of the compound. They even have data on like the radiation levels in the different rooms. And so they're like, we're pretty sure all the bombs are in this room. It's a very thorough briefing. Mm-hmm. Um, plus one for preparedness, right? Obi Wan says they need to stop the bombs no matter what. 
Anakin asks what happens if a bomb goes off. Obi-Wan says it's better to lose one planet than the whole galaxy. Because that's how you contain an airborne virus, is by tra- by banning travel between planets. Yeah, they yeah they, they didn't understand that Death Star was just created in response to this. Right. <laughs> um, so... All right, so they put together this plan. They're going to go out to the lab. So Peppy and Ahsoka, the female female gun gun, ride the shock out to where the ship is. They see a periscope and they avoid detection. I'm skipping over a lot of slapstick. There's a lot of slapstick in this episode. Um, Ahsoka checks in with Anakin and says the whole area is wired with pressure sensors. She thinks she can get in, but Obi-Wan tells her to set off a charge near the area where the bombs are stored while Anakin and Obi-Wan get into the compound during the distraction. Ahsoka agrees with this plan. So basically, they're going to blow up a bomb at one end. Obi-Wan and Anakin are going to cut into the uh, compound at the other end and like deal with this. This is a terrible plan, by the way. I know they don't quite know what they're dealing with, Um but after you see this madman with a bomb in his hand saying that he is going to wipe out the galaxy with this virus that's basically smallpox, that's been eradicated from their population, and there's no no immunity to it anymore, um, once, once that's the plan and they know it, their response should be to drop a nuclear weapon on the slab. Yeah, yeah, I'd be like, uh, just go back and like, like oh, we're just going to... Um... We're going to drop this asteroid right on top of the lab. They're talking about, like, what if we? What if one goes off? Then we lose We lose the planet of Naboo, I guess. Like, no. Fucking nuke it from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. I say we take off and nuke the entire site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Fucking A. Oh, hold on, hold on. Yeah. It's the... Like, you're, you're weighing the life of one person. Of, of one person and one gun gun. Uh, that you're pretty sure are inside this compound versus the life of a planet or the galaxy? No. But you don't understand. Uh, Anakin needs to get some. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to punch holes in it. Padme has to survive, obviously, because she has to live till the end of the last movie, right? Yeah. It's time for her to die. All right. Um, while they were preparing to leave, Obi-Wan tells Anakin not to get distracted and try to rescue Padme. They need to focus on the mission. Obi-Wan will make sure the bombs are destroyed. Anakin goes after Dr. Vindi. Um, Anakin step, snaps back that he knows what's at stake. Right? I think Anakin has proven time and time again he does not quite know what's at stake. I just had a realization that like, you mentioning Padme dying uh, at the end of episode uh, three. Spoiler. Um, and she said, they're so good at him. Is that she sounds exactly like um, somebody who's trying to apologize for her fuck-up abusive husband. Um, because there's so many times that he gets them into situations where he's just, things just go sideways. Like the, um, like, like this, like this is a bad idea, like the Thrawn book, uh, the second Thrawn book where he just, um, oh, what was right. it that he does that just causes just like a, like a natural disaster or something like that. Yeah. He, they, they somehow, he tries to blow up a factory, I think, and he ignites whatever was in the, in the soil. And it causes like a volcanic eruption, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. It was it was like a mineral that that could help make sh- shielding from like lightsabers and stuff. Can't remember the name of the mineral, but you're right. Like he does that, and they're all watching this planet like completely go to shit. 
and Thrawn was like, oh, yeah, that was possible. <laughs> right? I, don't know, I just finished watching Oppenheimer the other day, and the whole thing about, like, like if they set up a nuclear bomb, they might start a chain reaction that'll destroy the world, and then just turn into, like, a metaphor, like, oh, I think we did. Yeah, you did, idiot. <laughs> nice job. Um, but, you know, it's sort of like that. And yeah, I think we're not the first podcast to point out that uh, the arc, Padme's arc in the prequel trilogy is plucky, go-getter teenager with everything in front of her to um, battered, barefoot, and pregnant wife. <laughs> and that sucks. That just flat out sucks. Like, they could have... I'm not a prequel hater anymore, right? I, I had my moment. Um, I'm fine with them now. But they could have made her... They could have given her like a more satisfying ending than being a beaten wife, mm-hmm. who's literally beaten to death by her husband. That <laughs> just sucks. Yeah. My Schlitz isn't cold. <laughs> All right, um, but she's also a bit of a scumbag too. Like there, I, I, I've seen memes like scumbag Padme, where like, like she, she knows like that that'll like ruin his life by like giving in. And she's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I mean, consent is sexy, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Um, yeah. So back in the forest, Ahsoka uses a detonator to set off the sensor. Vindi, that we show, we see inside the lab. It shakes the whole lab. Vindi orders all the droids to hatch one. There's a breach. The gunships arrive. Ahsoka goes with the clones into hatch one to fight them. Peppy stays behind to make sure no one escapes. She's been deputized into this war. Anakin and Obi-Wan do this pretty cool thing where they drop bombs onto the structure and then they drop in through the holes with the clones. Ahsoka's in the t- in the tunnel fighting with the droids while Anakin and Obi-Wan have no resistance at all. So the distraction's working. And Ahsoka's doing all the heavy lifting. With the Jedi rushing through the base, we see the Lepi droid carrying the last bomb. He still has that bomb. Anakin goes uh, into the room with Vindy. Jar Jar and Padme. Jar Jar and Padme are tied up together on this sort of stand. Vindy threatens to kill them, Padme and Jar Jar, and then electrocutes them to make his point. Anakin throws down his weapons, and they are surrounded by droids. Vindy gives Anakin a choice to catch him or save his friends, and then he flips on the machine that was shocking Jar Jar and Padme. A force fight breaks out. Um, Anakin grabs his lightsaber, cuts up some droids, throws a droid up against the switch to turn it off, and then he saves Padme and Jar Jar while Vindy escapes. There's sort of a funny line where Padme says, next time you save me, next time this happens, save me first, destroy droids later. Which I thought was funny. Yeah, when Vindy is escaping, he puts on a pressure a pressure suit with a large helmet. This like, makes him look like, like an old version of Dr. Freeze. Yeah, the just the big bubble. Yeah, it's like it's like he's walking around with a with like a circular bubble bubble. Yeah, the the, um, the this is like Doctor Evil from um, I think the second Austin Powers movie, or is it the first where he's just in the in the suit that like well, he can, like, can't sit down in. I think that's the first one, but yeah, that's that's a good call out, and uh, yeah, it looks like that, like his whole front is just covered in this glass thing. All right. Um, Obi-Wan goes to the bomb room, and while he's there, all the bombs activate. Obi-Wan calls Anakin to ask if he stopped the doctor. Anakin says no. Anakin asks if he's dealt with the bombs. Obi-Wan says no. They exchange information about their status. 
Obi-Wan informs him that there is one missing bomb. Anakin tells Ahsoka and Padme to go find the missing bomb and Jar Jar. Padme says she saw a droid with the bomb and they run off to find it. Anakin decides to chase down the doctor. He catches up with him and Vindy throws a vial of the virus in the air, um, like a little glass ampule of it. Anakin has to leap to catch it. While he does this, Anakin or Vindy closes the door, sealing Anakin on the other side. Uh, Vindy's going basically going into a hangar with a platform that will raise his shuttle up to the surface so he can take off and get away. And he was walking. Yeah, so this platform takes them up out of, out of the thing. So Anakin starts cutting through the door with his lightsaber, and he tells Obi-Wan that Vindy's getting away. Obi-Wan says he's moving to Anakin's location to help stop Vindy. Padme and Jar Jar and the clones are deactivating the bombs. Padme and Jar Jar are looking for the droid when they find a greenhouse. They go in, and they find the droid hiding under a table. They wrestle with the droid and recover the bomb, and the droid runs off. Padme calls Ahsoka to tell her that she has the last bomb. Ahsoka runs to Padme's location. The bomb is counting down. Back at the hangar, Anakin cuts through the door, and Obi-Wan and Anakin enter the hangar. The platform is pretty pretty high up at this point, but Obi-Wan jumps up onto the platform while Vindy is shooting at them. Vindy throws some virus files, and Obi-Wan catches them as he falls off of the platform. Now it's Anakin's turn to jump up on the platform. He gets up there, and he tells Vindy that he's under arrest. The platform raises all the way up to the top. Now they're outside with the shuttle. And Vindy once again pulls out another vial to smash it. Um, This would release the virus into Naboo's atmosphere, presumably wiping out Naboo. Um, Peppy Bo is there and hits him with her staff. And Anakin catches the virus before it breaks. Vindy is cackling, saying that the bombs are going to go off and that they're all going to die. The timer on his arm is counting down, and right before it reaches zero, it turns off. Vindy is confused. We see the clones in the lab, down in the lab in the greenhouse. They've deactivated all of the bombs. Anakin reports through his radio that Vindy is captured. Ahsoka says that they have secured the lab. Anakin asks if Padme is okay. Ahsoka says Padme is okay, and so is she. Thanks for asking. (laughs) The end. This was a very action-packed episode, and I skipped a lot. Yeah. Uh, But let's start here. Did you like it? Yeah, I, I liked it fine. It was a, it was a good little one-off, and it it um, um, brought up like something that's never been um, brought up. I, I can't think of it's been brought up since. It's just like biological warfare. Um, I'm sure this is where you're going to cut in. It's like, well, this, this, or that. But like um, the idea that there's like like some like smallpox you know esque virus that could just um that would just like kill everybody i don't know just i guess just kills like every like everything anything that's living yeah so we don't have to get into the star wars history of bioweapons but they are a relatively rare thing in star wars and they had never been done i'll say in canon um prior to this so the X-Wing Squadron series, I think I mentioned it on a previous episode, I was going back and reading a lot of Legends books. The X-Wing Squadron series has a plot where the they're trying to retake Coruscant um, after the fall of the Empire, and they're fighting the Remnant, basically. But the Remnant still controls Coruscant, and so the X-Wing, like Wedge's X-Wing Squadron, is going to attack Coruscant. But the Empire's 
end game plan is they're going to release a virus into the Coruscant water supply that just kills non-humans. And this is the bioweapon that they develop. Um, this is obviously post-Empire um, stage. But there are also two comic book plots around this time that took place during the Clone Wars about the Separatists developing bioweapons because their army was la- largely inorganic, largely um, robotic, right, droids. Mm-hmm. And they wanted a virus that either targeted the clones directly or was just a basically an Agent Orange for, for beans, right, just wiped out organic matter. We did see them testing this defoliator weapon, like a defoliator weapon in the George Takei episode, um, Defenders of Peace or whatever that was called with the Scottish lemurs. So they are exploring the idea of weapons that target organics more than um, artificial life in these things. But Dave Filoni in an interview basically said that he had never considered um, the use of a bioweapon because I think he finds them like morally repugnant to mm. portray. Yeah. And George wanted this plot and what they ended up doing was making the villain like insane for wanting to do this. Like he's not just a villain, he is portrayed as unstable, right? As someone who like doesn't have a grip on reality, basically. Um, so I like that that was sort of their compromise, where it's like, okay, we'll do it, but we'll make this guy, the guy that wants to do this, we'll make him fucking insane. Mm-hmm. Um, I find the use of, I find the use of science, go to Oppenheimer, I find the use of science to generate weapons to be completely counterproductive, um, and especially to generate biological weapons, because unlike, unlike an, a piece of ordinance, a biological weapon you have no control over. Um, you release release a disease back into the population that disease is going to mutate right it's going to change you have no control over over its spread um or the target right the the appeal the quote-unquote appeal of a biological weapon is that it's a type of thing that what's called self-amplifying and so you don't need a lot of it you just need it to work because once you get someone infected that person becomes a vector to infect other people, right? And this is how diseases spread. I think people are passively aware that this is what happens because of what the world's gone through in the past several years with a not a weapon, but a naturally occurring biological disease that killed millions, um, indiscriminately killed millions. And it didn't, it didn't matter where it started because it went everywhere. Because that's what diseases do. That's what any bioweapon would do that was self-amplifying. And so the use of a bioweapon is probably the worst use of any sort of scientific principle. And I'll stop there. Mm. Yeah, all right, fair enough. Yeah, I, so, uh, something I've never thought about, but yeah. Like every piece of sci-fi or fiction that uses some sort of biological weapon, the biological weapon always gets out. Yeah, because life uh, will find a way. Yeah. <laughs> like, Jurassic Park is just a different scale of the same principle, right? It's like, you can't control it. There's a Murphy's Law that says, under the strictest control of temperature and pressure, the organism will do as it damn well pleases. Right? You have no control. Mm-hmm. I've been I've been a biologist for almost 30 years at this point, um, 25 years, and... 
there's nothing you can do to modify the course of a infectious disease. The only thing you can do is harden the population so when they get it, they don't get as sick. So their mortality and morbidity is decreased. That's the objective. Yeah. So you don't release a bioweapon ever. Yeah. Supposedly, I think Frankenstein was the first major uh, publication that dealt with the um, the the monster that gets the the, the man made creation that just runs amok. That you've cre- you've created this thing and then it's just it, it's immediately out of your control. Um, okay. I- I don't think that was the first, but it's a very good example of sort of like a Gilded Age sensibility of like like man messing with technology doesn't always result in the best outcome. Yeah. Well, I didn't say it was the it was the first, but it was probably the most like one of the first, if not best known for the time. To I think I think it launched a new genre of science fiction. I would mm-hmm. say that 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 Frankenstein is is a very science is a high science fiction for its time and it's probably launched that genre but but frankenstein for lack of a poor is basically a golem right from like a zombie or or a golem from like jewish mythology mm-hmm. where it's just this out of control animated piece of clay that is a monster right right um but but frankenstein had a very yeah science fiction man conquers death sort of thing Man in the way of nature can only create a monster, and then the monster hunts its creator. That's how Frankenstein ends. Spoiler alert for a book that was written 150 years ago. Yeah. Right. So the only the only possible outcome, I mean, I don't necessarily believe that technology is bad. I think technology, when applied to weaponry, is bad. And like I said, I just finished watching Oppenheimer. I'm very much a student of the history of science. I I love the history of science mostly for its cautionary tales and things and and all the terrible mistakes we've made along the way, how to refine our philosophy to make sure that science is used to improve people's lives, save lives, extend life, extend the healthful range of life, make sure technology is more available and that it's making improving people's lives, not making it worse, right? Yeah. But as a, as a scientist with this kind of view, you have to admit a lot of the great things that we have are because – are the like major breakthroughs that we have are because of wars. Um, it it fuels the the uh, it kind of like it fuels the um, the the uh, uh, like some sort of need that they didn't know was there. And I'm not saying about like the bomb, but just like a lot of like medical. Uh, there's a lot a lot of um, medical medical devices, procedures, and whatnot that didn't exist until. A war broke out, and they had to be um, invented. I will, I will grant the point and disagree philosophically. Well, I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying that that's. Um, so, well, I'm gonna no, I'm gonna elaborate on my thing. Um, I know that you can definitely make, you can definitely demonstrate that what you said just now is true. That during times of conflict, there is rapid advances in science. Um, that's not always when rapid advances of science happen, but the underlying mechanism of all of it is money. So when when society agrees that there is a return on investment for the pursuit of a scientific idea and they put money behind it, um, advances happen. 
wars, especially wars in the 20th century, were driven and made more efficient by technology. And so a lot of technology was invested in by countries at war. Basically, in 100 years, you went from, um, not even in 100 years, in like 50 years, you went from dragging artillery around with mules um, to having a nuclear arsenal that could kill, destroy the world 100 times over. Yeah. That 50-year period marked a lot of advancement in a lot of different fields of science because of investment. And the reason for that investment was to make killing more efficient. But that's not that's not why science gets better. It's like you would the premise that that you wouldn't have advances in medicine if we didn't go to war all the time is not true, I would argue. That you would have advances in medicine if the if our society invested in medicine the way they do during war. Oh, I I I agree. I'm not saying that we ne- we never do. It's just that if you look at our history, I'm saying that we should be doing it all oh, the time like, rather than just during war. That's what I'm saying. And I'm saying that the periods of time when we have, like the space race, for example, the space race. NASA is not a military organization. There was a political motivation to do it, but not a militaristic, not an immediate militaristic interest in in getting to the moon and stuff. We didn't put like weapons on the moon. We don't have platforms that shoot nuclear weapons back down to the earth and, and stuff like that. There was some some Star Wars nonsense in the 80s for like missile defense and things. But but the, the core of that mission was not militaristic. Tons of money was flown and was pushed into that. And all of that came back to society in tenfold or hundredfold return for cell phones and GPS and all of that shit that came out of the space program that everybody takes for granted now had nothing to do with the military at the inception. Hmm. Military later used that equipment and technology, but that wasn't military funding. I'm just saying, like, if you spent like that all the time. Yeah, I mean, like, Craig Titley couldn't have made his documentary well, we know we didn't space go to the moon. Yes, We've, that's what's called a callback. But yeah. no, I agree. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying that look, given our history, most of the time, like it wasn't like the space race wasn't um, for building weapons, but it was, it was an adversarial advert adversarial adversarial um, thing going on between the um, the U.S. and the USSR. It wasn't just like. Hey, let's just do this because this is great. No, this is we were doing it because we wanted to be the first ones there, and it was a matter of it's a national, it's a global um, dick measuring contest. Right, and this is one of the reasons. I don't know if we've ever had the conversation about the Mars missions. One of the reasons why I I very am very vocal about how to frame the Mars missions as apolitical as possible and as inclusive as possible. And things like that, because I do, I'm not disagreeing with anything you're saying. I'm just pushing back from my own philosophical point of view that it makes me sad that what you said is true for the most part. I'm just saying it doesn't have to be true. Yeah. That that science is actually, the core philosophies of science are actually pretty antithetical to violence and the perpetuation of violence and the infliction of harm on people. And when science is corrupted to be weaponized you see ripples in the scientific community like people leaving physics after the nuclear bomb was built um and 
people being upset about like the development of biological weapons and having those petitions preventing the United States from weaponizing biological research and all that other stuff, right? There is a huge movement inside scientific scientific community to prevent weaponizing of science and keep it for the benefit of mankind. I very much believe that. And my heart of hearts, core of my philosophy is we can't fuck this up. And that means sometimes I'm pretty anti weapon development. I'm getting this is getting very soapboxy and I'm getting very controversial, I think, but No, it's it's fine. Um It's also my life's work though. Yeah. I also this is exactly why I'm I write science policy for the government. But unfortunately push back against this narrative. Unfortunately like we when you distill it down it's when there's money is put into it, then like then like we can see the advancement. They put a lot of money in because of the Cold War, World War One, World War Two, um, the space race, um, COVID. Um, when there's like a like a need and and the the governments are just like here's a blank check, then all of a sudden things get done. But a lot of times mm, that's not that's not. Uh, we don't want to spend money on that sort of stuff. We we want to uh, spend it on uh, other stupid things. Yeah, I guess my I guess my the last thing I'll say about it is imagine how cool everything would be if we spent money on science all the time, the way that we spend money on science when we think we need to use it to kill Nazis. I I really thought we'd be in space by now as a kid. <laughs> I'm telling you I'm telling you that the the issue with that with 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 not having what we think we needed um, is probably 50 percent or if not greater a funding problem I worked on I'll put it this way I've worked on cancer research for a large portion of my life I don't anymore I am 90 percent sure that we would have affordable treatments for many cancers even quote-unquote cures even though you're not supposed to use the word cure when it comes to cancer. Um, if it's just a money problem, as far as I'm concerned, and I I consider myself very understanding of cancer, the state of art of cancer treatments and things, and I think it is completely a money problem that we're not willing to invest in in the research that we would need to get there as fast as we can get there. So I'll leave it there. Mm-hmm. We can cure multiple cancers, quote-unquote cure multiple cancers if we just put the money in. But there's not interest in that for some reason. <laughs> All right, you want to get back to Star Wars? So I'm talking about fucking the state of... I'm going to get depressed if I keep talking about it. We have we got to get going. Okay. Yeah, so back to... What were you talking about? I don't remember. Yeah. Okay. So you're asked, you asked me if I liked it. Yeah, I did. I, I, I did like it overall. Yeah, I liked it too. Um, we had a lot of... I just want to get through some of the trivia. We had a lot of first appearances for characters in this episode. Um, Queen Niyantni, um, she was first... This is her first appearance. Nuvo Vidian. Vindi, sorry. I started saying that that dude from that uh, Hera novel. Um, he's first. He's the first guy. He's the first appearance of him. Peppy Bo. This is the first appearance of a female Gungan. Supposedly, there are ones in the background of the Phantom Menace when they go to 
um, Order Gun Gungo, whatever that city was underwater. But they were pretty back in the in the background. Um, no one in the foreground at all. And then uh, Gregor Typho's first cartoon appearances in this. He had already appeared in Attack of the Clones, and they talked. The animators talked a lot about his hair because he has curly hair. They said they'd never animated curly hair, and so they used the techniques they they used for his hair. They used on um, stuff in Trespass, the last episode we watched, because this was produced before Trespass. Um, so they they they'd been playing a lot with textures and hairstyles and like how to make hair more realistic. And so like the the fur on the towels in Trespass were improved by um, the process they used to make um, Typho's hair. Interesting. Yeah, and they're getting good at it, too. There's a lot of stuff about how they would have never been... This is like the 12th or 13th one they made in completion, and they're getting faster, and they're understanding the technology more. And you have to understand that they were still spending about $50,000 a minute to produce these shows, but they could do more in less time. And so they were sticking more and more in. And this was a wildly ambitious show. They had new settings, um, including the grasslands, which they rendered quickly, which were like rolling hills, the lab, which they spent a lot of time on. And then they even had to make the hangar at feed from the Phantom Menace. Here's a hilarious trivia fact that came up everywhere. Um, Dave Filoni wanted the hangar at Thede to look exactly like it looked in The Phantom Menace. And they got schematics and everything, and they rendered it to look exactly like it was in Phantom Menace. And then when they put the Naboo Starfighters in there, they didn't fit in the hangar ports. They were too long. And they thought they had messed something up. And so Filoni went to John Knoll, who was the graphics designer for The Phantom Menace, and he told them this problem. He's like, he's like, yeah, the starfighters don't fit in the hangar ports in the hangar. And Noel's like, oh, yeah, we had that problem, too. So I just cut off the tails. <laughs> and so they, they rendered the tails as they pulled out. <laughs> and Filoni's like, oh. And so, so he put holes in the backs of the hangar ports where the tails could stick into the walls. Like they were plugging into the walls. <laughs> Oh, okay. And I like the I like the anecdote because it just shows one how much Filoni cares about detail, and it also shows like like there were people that are noticing problems problems with like designs and stuff in the Phantom Menace, and they're like, yeah, we didn't know how to solve that, so we just ignored it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different demand. Mm-hmm. I just really really love um, that. Uh, I want to get into we're it's a pretty long recording already. But I want to get into the trivia about the script versions. We can skip a lot of the trivia and the notes. Um, but there's several changes in the script that matter. Um, so there's a line in this episode where Padme says that the, or the Queen says that the relationship in between the humans and the Gungans is strained. This is because the original draft of the script was way, way darker. And... It wasn't a herd of shock that were killed by the virus, but a village of Gungans, and nobody knew why they died. Oh. And so the Gungans were basically asking the human government for help, and the human government's like, we have no idea what's going on. And so the Gungans were pissed at the humans because all of these Gungans had died, and no one knew why. 
And that's their starting point for the episode. And that's how they would have started the episode with like the Gungan village being killed with no explanation. Right. Um, So, so they decided that that was too dark and that they would use this herd of cows instead. Um, But they left that line in for some reason. And so the other weird line is when they're interrogating the droid, C-3PO asks the tactical droid to tell him about his medical heroism. That is because in this earlier version of the script, the droid they capture is a medical droid, the kind of medical droid that works on Anakin turning him into Darth Vader at the end of Revenge of the Sith. It's called a tripod medical droid or something. But they decided to make it a tactical droid, but they left the line medical heroism in in there Um, because I guess they didn't realize they should change it. Yeah. Or by the time they realized it, it was just like too too late. Like, like, screw it. Nobody's going to pay. Nobody's nobody's going to go over this with a fine tooth comb. Yeah. They're they're like, they're like, there's no way that two losers (laughs) are going to go line by line, find old copies of the scripts. And go through these shows, yeah. At the at the level of that they're going to go through there, while while ranting about how terrible weaponization of science is. Yeah, yeah. Isn't there a Simpsons episode where they like, if you pause it, because they like there's a bunch of like text on screens. Like if you pause it, someone says like, if you can read this, you don't have a life. Yeah, yeah. I love I love Easter eggs like that. The Simpsons. Um. The other the other thing that changed. In the in the script is the Lepi droid thing, the little rabbit droid that was running around. Um, for some reason, in an earlier version of the script, the Lepi droid disappears and is never seen again. Like they don't know where it went or what happened to it. Uh, they still recover the bomb, but it doesn't. It's not seen again. But they put it in so Padme can get the jump scare in the greenhouse, which I like. But um, do you have any comment on the darker version of this episode? I'm I'm glad they I'm glad they changed it. It was just a um, yeah that would have been a little too much probably for some the younger audience. Yeah, I get that they want to. I understand stakes like in a narrative form. You want to like show that there's an existential threat, but they yeah I'm glad they pulled up on that because you don't need to show people dying to show their stakes. Mm-hmm. What did you think about the design of Peppy Bo, the gun gun female? Uh, I didn't mind as different, um, but there's it's it's okay. A lot of species, the males and females, tend to look vastly different. Yeah, they they do look a lot of, pretty different. Um, so the one of the big design elements of her is in the cartoon version. Also, I'm looking at my Jar Jar statue and Jar Jar in the live action version. They have these big floppy ears. They're like they're like almost like fish fins on their heads or super big. Right. And in her design, they're tied back into a ponytail. Um, and that really drastically changes her look. Mm-hmm. She has two ears, but they're sort of tied together in a ponytail or two fins on her head. And then she does have like. They talked, the animators talked a lot in an interview about how they wanted to get the design right. They wanted to look like Jar Jar, but they wanted to make it look like there were definitely gender differences. And so they, they gave her like a waist 
made her legs look super long sort of thing and like gave her basically like a bikini top yeah you know or like a crop top or whatever you want to call that like a halter top tube top yeah tube top yeah whatever <laughs> it's something that shows it's something like shows her midriff right mm-hmm. it's like it's supposed to be like oh it's supposed to be provocative right but it's sort of like the it's sort of like the old white guy in Wayne's World that says like the only difference in between Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man is she's got a bow in her head. she has yeah. a bow in her, on her head I've always wanted to know what is the difference between Pac-Man and Ms. Pac-Man really well she has a bow in her head that's it <laughs> get right out of town no that's it. <laughs> it's like you're trying to show not tell it's like this is a gun gun female so how do you show it's female give her longer legs give her a waist put her in a tube top yeah right mm-hmm. tie her ears back in a, into a ponytail put a hat on her and make her pink exactly they, yeah. they pointed that out too like like her skin tone is pink it is not the best storytelling but it is a definitely show not tell yeah and you're like oh she's a girl right i think that she had a really great i think they they showed her when she attacks jar jar and padme that she's very a very competent fighter that can defend herself and then she takes out vindy at the end and so i'm glad they gave her something to do mm-hmm. i'll put it that way all right any other trivia you want to talk about let me look at my list to make sure that i'm not skipping anything that i care about I wrote too much on this one, and then I stupidly started talking, but not not Star Wars. Oh, I'll put the, there's two things I want to say real quick. When they're inside the base, uh, inside the lab, sorry, the hallways that they're walking down have like these circular lights down the length of them. And they're modeled after the hallway, after the tube in Bespin that Luke goes into when he's fighting Vader. Do you know what I'm talking about? After. Vader falls off the carbon freezing chamber and Luke goes down looking for him. Yeah. The writers called these disco halls. When I was a kid, there was no music in that scene and Luke goes in the in the hallway and all the lights turn on. I was fucking terrified of that. I always thought something was going to happen. I didn't, it didn't matter if I'd watched it a hundred times. I was scared of that scene. I thought maybe the hall was going to start rotating or Vader was going to be in there. I love that scene. Yeah. No, it's it's good cinematography. And then I just like throwing in clone names sometimes. And these are not in Wikipedia for some reason. But uh, multiple sources say that names of three of the clones in the tunnel fight with Obi-Wan um, are Wildfire, Snow Wolf, and Calm Tree. So hmm. those are some cool clone names. <laughs> and I promise that's the end of the trivia that I will talk about. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is there anything about the design or the writing or the plot that you want to talk about before we move on no i think i think we covered everything yeah you know, it's, it's getting a little late so or yeah. a little long so should uh, wanna, wrap it up you want to do the fortune cookie real quick just oh whether or not it's applicable yeah so the the fortune cookie uh the fear is the disease hope is the only cure um no, nah, I don't think this really fits, other than disease being uh, in the in in the little phrase. Yeah, I think I think this one was picked because disease is in the phrase. I think I don't know what I would change it to, but I think they had a bunch of these written, and they're like, "Oh, this one has disease in it. We use that." Yeah, just had a big magic eight ball, and they just shake it up and be like, oh, "Okay, this one." It's like you have that list of quotes that you can use at the beginning of our episodes. Mm-hmm. Someplace they had a list of these written out. Someplace, 
just just little little things. All right, I don't think it, I don't I couldn't find an alternative one, and we are getting long. So do you want to move to the ranking real quick? Yeah. So now's the time where we rank an episode. We rank episodes by Star Wars characters. A really great episode would be a Han, Luke, Leia, Vader, Chewie, just original trilogy characters. And a really bad episode would just be somebody just completely, just completely worthless. If Star Wars would just keep going, if this person didn't exist. Or is just they're just so bad and annoying you wish they didn't exist. Something like uh, Uncle Gundy. Okay, which one's Uncle Gundy? Uncle Gundy is the prospecting uncle in the That's right. Tamuzan arc of droids. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah, exactly. I, I had to be reminded who he was. <laughs> so Yes, but you you immediately remembered him, so that's why you're cool. <laughs> Yes, that's why I'm cool. I'm going to go downstairs after we're done and uh, um, snuggle up next to my wife and be like, you want to know about Uncle Gundy? And then she's going to be like, I don't give a shit. Get lost. So, Matt, what is your rank? Yeah, I like this episode a lot. And it's part of a sort of bigger storyline because we're going to see next week. Um, yeah, so I'm going to get a bit of Lux Bonteri. Ooh. I like, I like the actor who plays Lux a lot, too. Um, so I'm going to stick with that. He's... This is important. It's a it's a it's a good cautionary tale about the use of bioweapons. Next episode, even more so. Um, so I hope I don't roll a one, so we can continue our discussion of this. <laughs> what do you give it? Hmm. Yeah, you oh, you've kind of set up precedent. So I, I'm going to go with um, the um, a father from Canto Bite because it was a wild romp, um, and it was just that was just kind of all it is. Yeah, that counts. That's fine. You can be a father here. I haven't thought about that, but yeah, you can do their character in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. They push the plot along. I sort of want to watch that scene now, but yeah, I'll say this: a specific father, the father that uh, Finn and Rose ride. Nice. All right, can should we move on to the role? Yep. We we'll let the fate decide. Huh? I just happen to have a chance to be here. Blue, it's the boy. Red, his mother. All right, so at the end of every episode of Clone Wars, I roll a d20 to see how we're going to, what we're going to review next, I should say. If I roll a one, we review an episode of the 1985-86 series Ewoks. If I roll any other number... We review the next episode of Clone Wars, which I think is called The Mystery of a Thousand Moons. Season 1, Episode 18, it is a continuation of this arc. Ready for the roll? Do it. I film it just so there's no funny business, and I can text you the roll if there's ever any question. I rolled a 6. Okay. The only reason why I was hesitating, because I had to make sure it wasn't a 9. It's a Christmas miracle. It's a Christmas miracle, so... Um, yep. Uh, our next episode will be episode or season one, episode 18, Mystery of a Thousand Moons. So we'll see you next week on Yubcast. Do you want to get us out? Yep. Here's the outro. Thank you for downloading and listening to this episode. We would also like to thank Jordan White for the use of his cover of Yubnub as our intro and outro music. Please refer to the show notes for photos, clips, and links from this episode. Side effects from listening to Yubcast may include dizziness, dry mouth, a sense of confusion, and decreased sex drive. 
Serious side effects may include speaking in Ewa, speculating the origins of prequel characters, and wondering why two grown men discuss children's cartoons on the internet. For a complete list of side effects or to complain about the show, please visit us on Twitter at yubcast or drop us an email at noochvaderproductions at gmail.com. Thanks again. We'll see you again next week with a new episode. Yubcast is not affiliated with Lucasfilm or the Walt Disney Company. Star Wars, its characters, and creations are the property of Lucasfilm and its parent company, the Walt Disney Company. Yubcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Da 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 da